Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? How many of you are in love with him? No, I mean really, how many of you are in love with Jesus? You're always there. We turn, and there you are. We walk away, and you remain. We turn around, and there you are again. Unchanging, immutable, steadfast, always faithful. You've always been there. You've never walked away. No matter what we do, you remain the same. An amazing God. Faithful, come on church, in all your ways. Full of grace. Full of truth. Full of mercy. Always abiding. Always giving. Always forgiving. Always gracious. Oh, come on, church. Always merciful. You're an amazing God. We fail you, but you never fail us. We deny you, you never deny us. Where would we be without you? It's because of you that we are able to worship. It's because of you that we're able to stand. Without you, there's no breath to breathe. You give us every breath. You cause us to believe and see. Without you, there is no life. You have become everything to us. You are our great I am. You are our bright and morning star. You are my God, my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer, my Master, my King. You are the Bishop of my soul. There is none beside you. Without you, life is purposeless. Existence would be as an animal, but you've given us purpose. Teach us more of you. Come on, church. Make us more like you. Remove out of us what doesn't belong to us. Do whatever you got to do. Take away whatever you got to take. Remove whatever you got. Whatever. Whoever. Remove. Whatever. Just cause us to be more like you. Our desire is you, Jesus. Our desire is you. Bless this house. Come on, church. Bless this ministry. Bless Pastor William, all of his leaders. Bless the pastors, Lord God. Bless the servants. Keep them, protect them, surround them. Let no harm come to them. Show them your glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and all the people of God said. All the people of God said. Come on, give them a moment. Go on, lift your voice. You have to keep doing it until he's done. There you go. Yeah. 
Somebody say hallelujah. Can we thank God for Costi? He's been, he and his brother William have been serving me all my life. And I love what I heard from my son William. I expect a car. Yes, Jesus. And I don't mean no Ford Taurus. I mean like a car car. There used to be an old saying when I was young in ministry that there's three G's ministers have to stay away from. Three G's. Anybody ever heard of that? Gold, girls, and glory. I had no problem with any of those. No problem with girls. I got the most beautiful girl. No problem with gold, glory. My problem is CCC. Cars, cars, cars. So, um... I, um, I've only done two things in my whole life. I mean, as far as any kind of a career. I used to be in the automotive business many years. And I, I don't mean sales, but I was in the automotive business back in the old days. I mean, working with the three major manufacturers. And uh, so I've always been into cars. I would get another car to drive every two weeks, brand new. No, seriously, that was part of the benefits is that I would, I would drive cars to recommend them to clients that bought fleets. And so every couple of weeks, I got another car to drive. So I got spoiled. Um, and so I always liked cars. And, and um, you know, people think that I drive nice cars because, you know, the minister gives me a lot of money. No, no, you don't understand. It's an addiction. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the, the ministry doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just my personal addiction. We may go without food, but there's going to be a nice car in the garage. Yes, sir. So, you know, we're Arabs. What can I say? Um, back home, Arabs, you know, they, they could have donkeys and no food, but there's going to be a Benz in the garage. It's just, I, uh, I don't know where to, I, I don't have any other scheduled service with resignation for a while. I, this is my final, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, at, least, at least anything scheduled, this is my service. And after this, my schedule gets a little crazy. So I, I'm not going to rush today. Is that okay? Uh, that wasn't so good. I don't mean I'm going to keep you here all day, but I need to get stuff off my chest. Is that all right? And it just happened that, that normally I'm, I'm busy every other week and I also have my services here with our people. So it just happened that I have two Sundays back to back, which is unusual. So when my son said, you want to preach again, it's interesting because I wasn't quite done last time. And I was really kind of able to lay a little foundation. And how many of you did not hear last Sunday? Can I see your hand? We're not here last Sunday. Where were you people? Um, so I want to encourage you, if you are here, you want to get it, you want to hear it again. And I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's, it's available. Um, because there's some things that have begun to take place that, that the Lord has really put into my heart. I'm so proud of my son William, my son Costi. So proud of Emily and Eric and all the leadership. I think they're doing an amazing, amazing job. Really, come on, let them know. I'm, I'm just um, so, so thankful uh, for them. My, my wife is watching online. She couldn't be here, but she's busy with grandchildren. And, and for those of you that know anything about grandchildren, if you've been married for 39 years as I have, and uh, grandchildren come along, you take a back seat, they come first. Sometimes she says, you, whatever your name is. Uh, so grandchildren become priority. So she's, she's preparing for the grandkids, 
And so I, <clears throat> I need you today to listen carefully because this is not a subject that I generally teach outside of my circle of pastors. And the reason I say that is because uh, I am not a preacher about money. I've shied away from it all my life. Uh, and it's never about money. It's about order. Somebody say that. Order. order. Now when you, um, if you listen to last week, when my son was saying, I have, a, you know, don't, don't take away from me the ability to be a father. If you listen to the ending of last Sunday, I talked about that we, we have already received from the beginning who all that God is. Anybody remember that? Yeah. And therefore we have received the infinite supply of God. That means we lack in nothing. Say that we lack in, we lack in nothing. All that God is, all that God has, the infinity of God's supply is already ours. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. You understand? Okay, no, no you don't. There's a difference between truth and fact. The fact is, you lack. The truth is, you lack in nothing. So how do you bridge between the truth and the fact? The truth will make you free. But you got to know it. You shall, come on. You shall know the truth and the truth shall, no, 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 not set you. Make you. It will actually work on you and make you and force you to become free. The word free is liberty. It will force you, work on you, make you, build you to become liberty. Not only free, liberty. That means others get in touch with you and they get free. That's what the truth does. So you always have to hear truth. Now we've been raised to serve. What my son told you to do, as far as serving, you got to remember the greatest in the kingdom are servants. The what? The greatest in the kingdom are servants. So he encouraged you to serve. He said, there is no law. I'm not of his generation. I was raised under law. I don't mean the laws of Moses, the law of my father. Do what I tell you or I kill you. Now, now how many of you, and I realize today's generation, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, dads, now, not your dad, just generally speaking. You know, dads are kind of losing their position. And, or there is no dad at all. Uh, not, not in my world. My life was raised with a dad and he was like God in the family. And, and people don't like that kind of authority. But then if you're not under authority, you'll never have authority. You understand? And so for any of you that want to serve, you got to go somewhere to sign up. Do it today. And where you should go, I guess, is my daughter. Stand up, Michelle. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> This is my daughter, Michelle. So she's, she's very fast, so you gotta do everything quick with her. 
From the time my wife started contractions to the time Michelle was born, it was 45 minutes. That's God's truth. So, so I had to rush in the car, and my wife is having contractions in the car. And when I got to the hospital, my wife starts delivering a baby in the parking lot. Her. In the parking lot. I had to carry my wife from the car to the door of the hospital and put her down in between contractions. As God is my witness. Thank God she was a little girl. Because I told her, if you get big, you're out of here. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So... Um, I get her to the elevator. She's literally about to deliver. I see a, a security guy. I'm carrying my wife. She's having a baby. Uh, go to the right, make a left. You see the elevator to the second floor. I'm thinking. So I rush to the elevator, go to the second floor. The door opens, and she's having a baby on the floor of the elevator. And this nurse is walking by. I'm yelling, she's having a baby. So she runs, gets a cot. And starts running my daughter, my wife and, and daughter into this delivery room. I mean, it was like two seconds. There she was. Sorry. And, and, and ever since then, anything about Michelle is... Okay. So. Everything about it is like, let's get it done. So. Um, see her today. And she has the ability to impart that energy. So uh, when she gets around me, I'm just, okay, yes, dear, okay, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you ever remember Don Knotts, but that's what she reminds me of. Okay. You probably don't even know what that is. The old people do, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, wanna, I wanna make sure that you understand um, um, before, before I bring a word, Today, resignation has entered into a new season. And anytime you enter into a new season, there is an in-between suspension. So what that means is, is that you're in a sailboat, just as an example, and the winds have been going and carrying the sailboat in a particular direction. When God is about to cause a change, like a shift, he turns the sails because the winds have shifted. Does that make sense? That means that all those that have been used to going one way have to just allow the change to take its course. You with me? And that means that in this in-between season, God is preparing you for something. Anytime prepares you for something, especially those that are in leadership or positions of serving, never become territorial with what you're doing. Never become territorial because if God wants to move you and do something else with you and put some new people in, you can't become territorial because how can you put new wine in old wine skin? So there's always that change that comes. And so I've always learned from the time I was young serving with my brother, I don't own a position. I don't have my seat. You own nothing. We serve. Say we serve. And so that means that we never become territorial with anything. And we always remain in the posture that we're going to follow whatever the Lord tells us to do. Because we want to be part of what God is doing. So that means that if the cloud moves, we follow. Say something. 
And we don't stay behind because, well, no, that's not what he told me before. Hezekiah had to go into the temple and take down a pole that's been in there. They've made a god out of it with a serpent on it, a brazen serpent on a pole. And they put it in the most holy place and it became part of the, the ornaments of worship. Because 700 years before, when they looked at that serpent, that the snake bites did not hurt them. Well, you can't tell me to take that down. You know what God did with that? Yes, but you see, God has moved on. And you haven't. So backsliding is not leaving God. Backsliding is God has moved on and you have not. So you always have to move with God. Had Abraham not been able to hear the progressive word of God, he would have killed the promise. Say so one more time. Had Abraham not been able to hear the progressive word of God, he would have killed the promise because God does not tell you everything all at once. And so God tells Abraham, take your son, give him to me as a sacrifice. He hauls him up to the mountain. The boy is not a child. He's a, he's a grown man. Scholars believe he was about 30. He helped his father carry the altar and carry the wood. He understood offering. He said, Lord, Father, I see the altar. I see the wood. Where is the sacrifice? He knew enough already at that time to help his dad alone. He said to his wife, me and the boy are going to go up to worship. So this boy already knew how to worship. And when he realized he is the sacrifice, he climbed in there. And believing that even if God kills him, he can raise him from the dead. Abraham had to be able to hear, think of the emotion of the moment about to kill his own son, the son of promise. Where was his mind and heart? He was completely in tune with the voice of God. And God step, stops his arm. He's about to sacrifice his son. He says, now I know you fear God. The original Hebrew says, the knowledge of God became now to Abraham. Because God always knew. Come on. Go with me. I'm not teaching on this, but just so you understand. Abraham became aware of what God's always known about him. And the whole trial up the mountain was not for God. It was for Abraham to find out what God always knew about him. And then God fulfilled his promise. And God said, I'm not going to just give you one son. I'm going to make you a father to nations. Because God always has something a whole lot greater. But if you cannot hear the progressive word of God, you remain within the portion that you become a territory over. Risen nation has reached a place where I feel like the winds have shifted. They're in a the process of change. In this process of change, my son and the leadership are going to have to be listening very carefully. And I'm watching as best as I can, as, as I have to do what I got to do, but, but there is a change. And this change is going to cause the set course of what is coming. And what is coming is going to change everything. I'm going to say that one more time. What is coming is going to change everything. And that's why the team has to be now built because you see, you have to have the infrastructure to be able to do what it is that God's called you to do. And so whenever it is that God's about to set you on assignment, and this is why I'm here today, whenever God's about to set you on assignment, he prepares the infrastructure to develop you for what is coming. Because what is coming is not going to be easy. Uh, there is a... There is a, uh, a concept within the body of Christ today that, that we're just to be nice and forgiving and sweet. And if they slap you, 
turn the cheek, let them slap you again. No, I don't think so. That is not what Jesus was talking about. He was describing what it means to be a follower, the sacrifice of discipleship, the determination of surrendering as a disciple to be a follower of Christ means that you never stop. No matter what it costs, you are always in the process. It's a saying. It doesn't mean allow your enemies to slap you. What it means is, is that as a follower of Christ, it hurts you keep moving. So when he said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peace, what? Say it out loud. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers. There's a difference. As an example, if you want to attack Bahamas, you don't have to worry. But if you're going to attack Russia, China, or the U.S., they got what they call nukes underground. The Bahamas doesn't have nukes underground. Because these nations have peacemaking abilities. I want you to get this, come on. They're not peacekeeping abilities. These nations have peacemaking abilities. Their enemies know you come against them, they have a way of making peace. That means you start the war, they have a way of ending it. Japan, as an example, learned after Pearl Harbor, this nation is a peacemaking nation. Yeah. That means that it has the power. You know, you know it was said, they woke up a sleeping giant. The church is kind of sleeping right now. But God's about to raise up a generation that's going to wake up the big church. And the pharisaical order is about to take a back seat. I haven't started preaching yet. I just want you to prepare you for what God is doing. And there's two dimensions that God is working on. One, He's raising overcomers. Two, He's going to make them rich. It's not about money. It's about those that have been found faithful with a little. God's going to make them rulers over much. Because here's a concept about Jesus most believers don't know. Jesus was never poor. The reason the Romans feared him at his birth and they wanted to pretend to come and honor the newborn king is not because he's of the line of David. They don't care about that. Or that he is even, you know, of a royal line. They don't care about that either. So many prophets in those days, they didn't care about if he healed the sick. They didn't care about the Jews and all their miracles and their many prophets and messiahs. In fact, the Pharisees didn't care either that he could heal the sick. What they worried about is the amount of money, the influence that he could have. At his birth, kings came, not three wise men, rulers from other nations and bestowed gold frankincense and myrrh at his birth 
to honor the newborn king. It is estimated by biblical scholars, Jesus at his birth, in today's money, received $400 million. Now, I know this, you know, it's not the concept we've had of Jesus, a poor guy who's homeless. Um, this, is, this is the son of the living God that can calm the storms, raise the dead, feed the multitudes, do it over and over again, call out the first fish, get the gold, pay the temple tax. Come on. So don't tell me he was a broke man. They casted lots for his clothes at the crucifixion. But the power of money has always been the place where the enemy stops his people. The enemy doesn't care how anointed you are. The enemy cares about two things. One, to keep you confused of your identity so the kingdom cannot come. Because the enemy knows if the kingdom comes, his days are numbered. The second thing the enemy cares about is how wealthy you are. Because you can have dreams all day long. There's no shortage of visions, no shortage of churches, no shortage of nice people who want to do beautiful things. They got visions galore and a lot of love, but they're all broke. So as long as you have a vision without the provision, you're just dreaming. And as long as the enemy keeps you dreaming, he'll pass on from one generation to the next and keep the church powerless to where they can't even get children to pray in schools. And so it's become more of a social gathering where you don't want to get politically involved and all that nonsense. But I'm here to tell you, God's about to bring down governments. God's about to cause violent shaking to take place across this world, and particularly this nation. And what you see today, and listen, God is not going to necessarily use the religious system. Because while the priests, the book of Acts says, while the priests were in the temple, God was speaking to John the Baptist in the wilderness. So God's looking for the people that are on the backside of the desert. And that's where he's talking. They have no idea what's going on in the temple. You all hear me? John the Baptist was an in-between for what's coming. Prepare you the way. When Jesus showed up, he did not bring a message they were expecting. They expected him to bring a teaching, a message that he is the king. He's going to reestablish the throne of David. He comes and says, no, I'm establishing the kingdom of God in your heart and I'm the king. And this is going to be a whole other order. And generally the people that resist the next move of God are the people that had the last move of God. The world doesn't really care. And so when you think of all the advancements that have been made in the world, technology, medicine, education. Children now have cell phones. My grandchildren can use their devices better than I can. Everything has advanced. The only thing that's gotten weaker is the church. So when you start from its beginning in the book of Acts, and if you follow every kind of institution, from, the, from education to politics to finance to education to medicine, everything has advanced. Everything. Now, it doesn't mean people are any, any healthier. They're actually living shorter than they used to in biblical days. You had to kill them over there to stop them. The church has become bigger. There's more buildings, just no power. Talk to me. In fact, people give for tax reasons. And God has never anointed nonprofit entities. Help me, Jesus. Come on. 
He's never anointed ministries. He's anointed vessels. The anointing is on the garment of the priesthood, not the temple. People today give because that's where they're fed. It has nothing to do with where you're fed. It's where you're called. What is the banner of your tribe? The Old Testament is the blueprint of how God does it. And God hasn't changed. And he said to Moses, build everything according to the pattern that I showed you. And so now we are at the place where um, Jesus is not looking for compromising people. But he's looking for people who are going to tell the truth. And for that reason, he is raising up peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God, not peacekeepers. And so for the turning the other sheep kind of Christian, uh, get a move. But those that are God is going to raise to keep the peace. You know, those are, I should say, make the peace those are the people that God is going to put a sword in their hand. And I listen to me carefully. I don't mean violent swords. I mean the word of God in their mouth. They're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not going to back down because of whatever. Because there's a secret in it. And this, I'm about to be done here. This is just prelude. There's a secret in it. And the secret is your life is hid. Say hid. In Christ Jesus. Who's in God. So they got to get through two layers to find you. You understand? You're in this world, but you're not of this world. That means they got to get through God and Christ to find you. So you don't have to worry about the conditions of this world. The world is using every kind of tactic to control the hearts of men. It's in the book of Revelation. Diseases are being introduced. Man-made diseases. Evil, wicked, demonic men produced an evil disease called COVID. Wake up to reality. To control the minds of people. Fear gripped people's hearts. And so they're along with a mask. When I was in Florida, I was walking the beach with my wife and I looked out in the water and there was a sweet old lady who wants to live long swimming by herself out there in the water with a mask on. I'd be worried about just sharks, not the mask. But fear, fear. So I refused fear. Job said the very thing he feared came on him. Why? Because fear is a spirit. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. Come on, but of power, authority, love, and keep your mind in the right place. And so fear gripped the world and the church followed suit. But our church never stopped having services. We never wore masks. 
we didn't just step upside six feet apart. And, and you know what? Listen, and COVID has not impacted our people. I've been in conferences, laid hands on people, been all over. I mean, I have gotten busier since COVID because no preachers want to go anywhere. But I've been to Mexico. I've been in some of the worst places infected with COVID. And you know, the only thing I get is sweat. I get hot and I need food. But COVID cannot touch my family. And, and listen, and, and it doesn't mean you don't get affected because you're around people. But that means you, you, you know, you snotted out, farted out, whatever. It's going to come and it's going to go like a common cold. I know none of you people fart, but I do it all the time. So it has no power. Say it. No. Say it like you mean it. No power. It's got no power. So Jesus said, the enemy has no power over you. It doesn't mean there won't be the attempt. Just no power. And once you are of the mindset, no power, but Christ in me, you are put in a position where the world can have no effect. You are immune. An ambassador. Of the kingdom of God in the earth. And therefore, you're in it. You're not of it. What affects them does not affect you. And as an ambassador, listen, let me tell you how ambassadorship works. I still haven't started. An ambassador is the assignment of his government. The responsibility of his government. It is up to the throne, the governor, the king, the president of that nation to care of his ambassador who's in a foreign land. So my life, my children, my home, everything about where I live and everything that I own is not my responsibility. I'm ambassador and I am his responsibility. And he is obligated to take care of me. So I'm not a beggar. I'm an ambassador. So the way I talk to my king is not as a slave, but as a son. There's expectation. I don't order my king. He knows what I need. But it is at a different mindset of a relationship that's not based on need. God is bringing about a shift. And you know, I don't mean that to sound like a buzzword because there's a lot of buzzwords in ministry today. Shift, mark you, you know, (laughs) help me Jesus. Activate the anointing. You can't activate the anointing. Where do you find this stuff? There's no activate the anointing. The anointing is already activated. You just need it. But you know, people like buzzwords. Mark you, boom. What is that? Can we, can we, I can't take it, sorry. I can't take it. You know, I'm old and all of you young people, whatever, marked and all of that, okay. Um, You are called, set apart, anointed, already activated. You just gotta get your brain working right. 
So everybody's waiting on God, and God is waiting on you. I bless you with all things. He said, I've given you everything you need. Come on. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Come on, talk to me. We've received everything. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Say something. There is nothing else he can do for me. Come on, help me. He's given me all that I need, every promise, to make me a partaker of his divine nature. So whatever I think and whatever's already true, I just got to go over. I guess you can say shift over to it. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not being critical. I, I love it. It's cute. Mark you. Okay, I'll mark you. <laughs> Are you all okay? Young people always look like this. Just so confused and so cute. You know, while everybody was worshiping the Lord, it's just at the end of worship. Forgive me, okay? Um, but I looked over at Emily, and, and everybody's, you know, she's got her eyes closed, and she looks so cute. And, and I looked over at her, and I'm just, I just, you know, I'm a dad. And I, <laughs> I said to your wife, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> I mean that in love. Okay, you know, you white people looking at me like I'm weird. See, in our culture... You express love. You understand? Uh, Americans, you know, especially in church, they hug you. There, there, bless you. No, no. See, in my culture, we attack each other. And, you know, we bite each other. Squeeze each other. When my wife and I first got married, you know, she's from Jacksonville. Her family is incredibly white. So, and I, and I don't mean, I don't mean... <laughs> And, and, and just in case my mother-in-law is watching, what I mean by that is just, you know, um, like Emily, you know, like Emily, you know, the, it's, it's the white skin. So if you squeeze it, it leaves a mark. You know, with me, brown people, you know, you got to really hit them hard. You know? But the white people, you know, you got to be tender. So, so my wife is wearing these short sleeves. We've been married. It's just a short time. We, we go to, to visit her, her, her family, and she's got bruises on her arms, both of them. And they look just like my fingerprints. And so her, her dad takes her aside, and is everything okay? She goes, everything is great. Well, well, your arms are bruised. Oh, it's Willie. He likes to squeeze. So I not only squeeze, I, take, I stick my tongue out. So... So my grandchildren, I, listen, my grandchildren are all being taught now. So when, when I squeeze them, they stick their tongue out at me. The other day I was, I was, I was squeezing Benji and he went, mm. and, and you know, that just wanted me to hurt him more. <laughs> God so loved. The nature of God. So loved, he gave. Genesis chapter one, let's go. All that was just to set you up. We have to pay attention. Genesis chapter one, God sets the parameters, the principles, the blueprint, the architect 
sets his masterpiece as to how he's going to function in this world. And he says in verse 28, now remember, so we don't have to take all day, he created man in his own image and likeness. Is that right? So that, that means say, say image. Quickly now, what is the word image? Say, what is the word image is, means what was in the imagination or the thought of God. Follow this. What God knew of himself to be, God took that which he knew himself to be and wanted to make it visible. Okay? The likeness is God's attributes, characteristics. And so God said, I want that which I am, I know me to be, my nature, my ways, my thoughts, my characteristics, likeness, and I want to make it a man. So if when I said there's nothing you need is because you already have the kingdom within you. Anybody have the kingdom? You already have Christ in you. Anybody have Christ? Anyone in the temple of the Holy Ghost? You already have the mind of Christ. You're not going to get it. You already got it. Come on, anyone here give the life to the Lord? So that means that you received his kingdom. You received his nature. You received his mind. If you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you became the temple of the Holy Ghost because you're already the image and likeness of God. So if you're already the image and likeness of God and you're already the temple of God and you are the habitation of God and Christ is in you and you are the temple of the Holy Ghost and you already have his mind, like what more do you people want? So he left nothing that he didn't give you. So he has blessed us with all things. Say all. Now we got to get our minds up to what is true. In verse 28, God says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish, bring it back to order, and subdue it, have dominion over it, over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, over every living thing that creeps upon the earth. Notice verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you some things. What does it say? All you have, all you have your Bibles, right? Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed. How many of them? Every one of them, which is upon the face of all the earth, of every tree in which the fruit of the tree yielding seed. It shall all be food for you. So God gives you everything that requires from the fish of the sea, fowls of the air, beasts of the field, creeping thing. He gives you everything that you may rule over it means it's your possession. You own it all. You all see that? He's given you, say, I have given. In the kingdom of God, there is only one way. You got to hear this. Because when my son was talking about it, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm very happy when they give me things, especially expensive things. Um, but it's in the nature of a father, because this is the order of the kingdom, where God says, if you, it just, if you look up the words, I have given you, it's done already. I have given you. So nothing works in the kingdom unless God gives it. Got that? In every way, in everything, unless God gives it. Verse 30. To every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to everything creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given it. I have given every herb for food. And it was so. So God gives you everything. Therefore, Adam, prior to the fall, did not have the capacity of need. He had to learn need. Adam, prior to the fall, did not have the capacity of need. He only had the capacity of rule and supply. 
He already had the rulership. Because anything God creates, He sustains. Come on with me. It is self-evident that God is love because birds, flowers, breeze, trees prove that whatever God creates, He sustains. He protects and feeds and maintains all that is according to His law. When I say law, I mean the nature of God. Nothing more has to be done to be, to be fed, maintained, or protected. The law of God is the protection onto His own creation. Just get, get the science of it. You with me? When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, that's what he's saying. And so, whenever it is that God does, God sustains and God protects. Now, there's a sphere of infinite supply. And I'm telling you this because of the assignment that is on you. There's a sphere of infinite supply, which is according to law or according to the order of God. There's also a sphere of sin, as an example, or lawlessness, which is the havoc of mixture, the orderless conditions, which are called the garbage dump, where everything is thrown together, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Happens a lot in religion. First John 3, 4, King James, inaccurately, First John 3, 4, King James inaccurately says, sin is the transgression of the law. But more accurately, the Amplified says, sin is lawlessness. So sin is just lawless, whatever is out of order. You understand? Sin is not doing the, the nasty things people do. Sin is not living up to the glory. It's not living up to the order. It's falling short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fell, come on, short of the glory. It means it's mi missing the bullseye. God has not only set the law of order, but God is the law of order, meaning that the law is not only an act, but a being. God is that way. That's why in all your ways you acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path, Proverbs 3. As a foundation, I want to set these six governing principles. And I need you to write them down quickly. These are just foundation to where I want to go. Uh, this is not what the assignment is, but just so you must have a background. Six governmental principles. Number one, you all ready? Yes. Everything can only produce according to its purpose. Everything can only produce according to its purpose. For example, Genesis describes in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, that God spoke to the soil. So when God wanted to create plant life, He spoke to the soil. And the soil fulfilled its purpose, producing herbs, fruit, trees, and seed. If this, listen now, if soil is not producing according to its created potential, it becomes simply dirt. When God wanted animals, in Genesis 1, 24 and 25, he spoke to the land. When he wanted fish, he spoke to the sea, Genesis 1, 20. You all see that? So principle one, everything can only produce according to its purpose. Principle two, all things are made of the same substance from which they came. All things are made of the same substance from which they came. And when they die, they return to the source that made them. Everything. That's why when man dies, his flesh goes back to the dust from where it came, but his spirit returns to the Father from where it came. So again, principle two, all things are made of the same substance from which they came. And when they die, they return to the source that made them. You doing all right? Yes. Principle three. And if you can't write it fast enough, it's okay. You can get the CD or whatever. Listen to it later. I got to, or 
I was about to say take, but that's really old. <laughs> Principle three, because I don't want to spend too much time on this. I want, I want to get to the point. Principle three, all things are maintained by the source from which they came. All things are maintained by the source from which they came, which means plant life is sustained by the soil. The animal life is sustained by the land. The fish life is sustained by the sea. If they're removed from their source, they die. Come on. I want you to think about God and man. If they're removed from their source, they die. Principle four. Since all things are composed of the same substance as the source from which they came, then therefore they contain the same potential as their source. Since all things are composed of the same substance as the source from which they came, they contain the same potential as its source. You can listen to all this later, write it down, slow it down, stop it, whatever, rewind. But I got to get through this. Ready? So for example, if the soil is lacking in nutrients and not able to hold water, then the plant attached to that soil is adversely affected by the poor quality of the soil. Likewise, the animal that eats that plant. Therefore, the potential of anything is always related to the potential of its source. Got it? Principle five, the fulfillment of potential, the fulfillment of potential is found in the achievement of its intended design. Now I'm going to slow it down. The fulfillment of potential is found in the achievement of its intended design, which means you don't ask your washing machine to dry your clothes. Right? What it's designed to do is function and according to its design function, it fulfills purpose. If it's not functioning according to design, it doesn't function. So if the demand is according to the design, it's called a success. But if the demand is contrary to design, it's called a failure. So one more time, principle five, the fulfillment of potential is found in the achievement of its intended design. Principle six, finally, the identity of a thing is revealed by the demand placed on it. The identity of a thing. So you don't know what you're made of until you're squeezed. The identity of a thing is not revealed, listen, except by the demand placed on it. So if the demand is according to design, it's a success. So how a thing is to act or function is based on design. You all got that? That's why man can't live by bread alone. Come on. He's not an animal. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The purpose and design of man is to have dominion. And rule over everything God created. Genesis 1.26. That is man's law. That is man's order. Anything less than that is lawlessness. Got it? His function is to be as God. Man's law is to be as God. I need that to sink in. Are you the image of God? Talk to me. Are you the likeness of God? Anything less, you're out of order. 
You represent God. Therefore, you're to be the likeness. And God gave you a mind. You have the capacity to rule out of your mind. Man does not use the potential of his mind. So man's function is to be the image and likeness of God in the earth, God's representation, God's likeness, God's supply. Anything less is out of order. And out of this function, being as God, the representation of God, all men's supply comes. When man is in his rightful position, everything works for him. When man is out of order, he has to go and slave for it. Come on, I want you to get this. When man is in order, everything serves him. When man is out of order, he has to slave for everything. When man fell, he became a servant, a slave. He had to labor, sweat, and produce from his own labor. So Jesus comes and he says, now if you're going to be like the, 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 the Gentiles, the idol worshipers, who worry about everything, he said, now don't be like them, you know, where they want to know how they're going to eat and where they're going to live and how they're going to be clothed or, or how they're going to be sheltered. He said, that's not you. Don't you see God takes care of everything? He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the plant life. Even the lily in the valley, he takes care of it all. They don't labor. They don't toil. Some of them are dressed better than Solomon. Did he say that? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, which means when that's your life, everything else is added to you. That's hard for a slavish mind to really receive. And that's why God can destroy the powers of Pharaoh in 30 to 40 days, but 40 years could not change the mind of old slaves. Come on, I want you to see this. So God puts a demand on man to be like him because he's put it in him. God knows your potential and God has to put a demand on you so you will learn what he's already deposited in you. You understand? And like I told you last week, years ago, a car was given to me that was very, very fast. And this crazy fast car was a beautiful car, but it was a camouflage it was a sports monster under a beautiful hood. And you know, the car was never happy when I was doing 80. So, you know, I had to buy devices to make sure that there's no legal people around. Don't tell anybody this. I remember one night driving from Los Angeles to Orange County, it's about an hour drive, and I've been preaching and ministering to people, and I, it was a long service, laid hand on everybody in the building, and when I was done, I have to drive home, and just, you know, when the anointing starts to subside, and after, you know, so we went to eat, it's like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm tired. So, you know, you put the music on, it doesn't help, you open the window, you just get more sleepy, I'm trying to wake myself up, and I thought, I know how to do it. So, the highway is wide open, and I look, and there's nobody there. And I'm, I'm doing, I'm, 
I'm doing it in about an hour, okay? I'm already moving fast. The speedometer on the car says 220 or 240, whatever it was. Yeah, look, AMG, that's, that's what it was. So, and it was a gift, okay? I didn't buy it or anything. I mean, so if I did. Anyway, um, so I'm doing 80, 90 or so, and the house was totally wide open, and I, I, you know, I, I, I believe I'm under grace in the word, not of it. So, I'm sorry, I'm just looking for excuses for my sin. I, I didn't even see the speed limit, I'm going so fast. And I decided I'm just going to step on it. So I floor this thing. Let me tell you what she did. My car was a she. She lowered. It's like she lowered and got wide. The engine roared. I heard her say, finally. And I watched. Don't do this, okay? Don't do this. Don't do this. This is just me. I've already asked God to forgive me. Um, I watched the speedometer go from somewhere in the 90 to... And this car held the road like it's unbelievable. It's like it finally came into its own. Looked up at me and said, thank you. And I'm like, wow. I'm wide awake now. I was home in like 10 minutes. So... thinking, what crazy people made this thing so fast on a normal highway where it's like 70 miles an hour? You know, 70 miles an hour for this car, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like the old Flintstone, you know what I'm saying? So, do you still, do you ever listen to that, or does that, you're too young? For, you remember Fred Flintstone? Yeah, like, when I see hair in my son-in-law, I think of Fred Flintstone. No, I mean big and strong, yeah. I love my boy. Okay, so listen, listen. So, I'm thinking, God, why in God's name would you give me your potential? You gave me a speedometer to be holy, just as you are holy. Perfect! The world says nobody's perfect. But you said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, what is that capacity like? I give you all power, Jesus said. What? All power. Yeah, 240 miles an hour. How much of it are you using? I don't know, two. I need to go to church so I can receive maintenance. A lot of maintenance. I go to the garages and get maintenance and tune-ups. Get my oil changed so I can get activated and marked. Sorry. And then when you listen to preachers, can I deal with it? I got to get this off my chest. They're always telling you how God wants to bless you. And how God wants to take care of you. And you just come to God. Give your life to Jesus. You already gave your life to Jesus. You know what Jesus said? 
Well, I got to get back. He's, he's fighting with the Pharisees, calling them all kinds of names. You bunch of hypocrites, dogs, sons of Satan. <laughs> there was no turning the other cheek. No, no, he was dealing with the Pharisees. Okay? Calling them names. I mean, in those days, those were nasty name calling. Okay? Today, Jesus would not be welcome to most churches. And Paul would still be in prison. They wouldn't fit in the system. Trust me. So Jesus is dealing with these Pharisees, but many, many, many of the Jews, it says, believed on him. So he turns to them and he says, if you follow me, then you'll be my disciples. You gotta follow. And while he's arguing with all these Pharisees, and then he adds, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So believing on Jesus does not make you free. A lot of believers are slaves. And so between salvation and liberation, you got to be a follower. You got to be a disciple. You got to come to know the truth. And so people deal with all kinds of secret problems. They're not free. And they've learned how to make their cells homey. They've decorated their cell to look like home and it's a prison. They've learned to live with all of their bondages, weaknesses, failures. They've just made it homey. And there's a lot of churches that are prison cells for the needy. Make you feel better about your slavish lifestyle. What God wants to do is set you free. And let me tell you, free means you're not attached to anything. You're not restricted by anything. There's nothing holding you back. You have the full potential to be all that God created you to be. Say something. So that means, and and here's the thing, the enemy knows. Because the enemy is listening to you. The enemy is not all all knowing. He just listens. Listens to your complaints. You're murmuring. Now they know. They're all about you now because they just watched you and listened to you. So if you're going to complain about life, get into your closet and speak to your father, which is in secret. You understand? But Jesus was about to tell his disciples some secrets. He sees the devil coming. He says, you know, I've got a lot more to tell you, but I can't tell you right now because the devil is coming and he's got nothing to do with me. Say, the enemy has nothing to do with me. Say it. Come on, one more time. The enemy has... So when, the, when people come around you, Christians, and the devil's doing this to me, the devil's doing that to me, in the Holy Ghost, slap them. I don't mean literally, just, you know, it's qu- sweet. And say, the, the devil's doing, listen, the devil has no power. Zero power. Say it. I have all the power. I have all the power to step on scorpions. I have all the power. That's why the feet ministry is very important. God takes care of the feet, washes the feet, anoints the feet. How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news. God's after some feet. Why? Say why. Somebody ask me why. Why feet? Because the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. The body it's got parts, and we're all different parts. But God is after the feet, the lowest part, the ones that touch the earth. And the feet 
Because the son, the head of the body, must have the feet. Or he can't get it done. The head is born first. Firstborn. But not until the feet are out is the completion done. Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father waiting for the feet to finish what he started. Come on, how beautiful are the feet of them. So God is after some feet, but these feet have to be prosperous, which means strong, conquerors, overcomers, capable. Y'all with me? So God here puts us where we understand that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's given us his potential. He's given us his nature. He's given us his mind. He's given us all that he is. And how is God, listen carefully, God so loved. He In this, 1 John 4, 9 says, was manifest the love of God towards us because that God sent his son. So God so loved, he gave, John 3, 16. And in this was manifest the love of God towards us because God sent his son, 1 John 4, 9. In both of these scriptures, there, there is a condition that manifests. There's a what? A condition that manifests. God so loved that he gave his son. Listen to this love manifest. What is the highest expression of the nature of God? Love. What is the highest expression of the Spirit of God? God so loved, He... It doesn't say God so loved, He saved. It doesn't say God so loved, He forgave. What does it say? God so loved, He... So the highest expression of God's nature is so loved, He gave. It's the Spirit. The highest expression of love is love. Love manifest. Now what is the highest expression? Y'all doing all right? The highest expression of God is love. Who he gave. Love is the highest expression. And the highest expression of love is the demonstration to give. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with the nature. So the highest expression of the nature of God is love. The highest expression of love is that he gave. The demonstration of giving. Please hear what I'm saying to you. People always get a hold of the, grab their pockets. I'm not talking about it. The offering's already been received. This kind of giving is a grace. You might want to write it down. This kind of giving is a what? It's a grace. Go with me to the book of Romans quickly, chapter 12. Romans 12. Let me know when you're there. Romans 12. Verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one member of one, one another. Verse 6. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us. You with me? Whether prophecy, let him prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, which means serving. If ministry is your serving, that is your ministry, then give yourself to serving. Let us wait on the minister of ministering. Or if it's teaching, give yourself unto teaching. Verse 8. 
or he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it simplicity, with simplicity, which means generously. He that rules, let him rule with diligence. He that shows mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You all see that? These are gifts. What are they? If your gift is to encourage, the living translation says, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership abilities, take responsibility seriously, it says. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. King James says, giveth, let him do it with simplicity. This word, let him give, is found only twice in all the New Testament. Follow carefully. It is the Greek word, meta didomi. Say that. Meta didomi. It's part of two words. In Luke 6.38, for example, where it says, given shall be given to you, that is only didomi. There's no meta, just didomi. And that's the common word used, which simply means to give, to bestow, to offer, to grant. But meta didomi means to give over. I need you to hear this now. This is what I came for. To do what? Give over, which means to share, to impact, to impart. That word comes from the meaning to means to transmit, to break into, or to get across. Just follow this. To break into or to get across. Therefore, it is more than just giving, but imparting more than a gift. It is a transmitting something that causes people to break into something new. It causes people to get across to another side. Got it? It's meta, which means, the word meta means it's joined to something. It means it's an accompaniment or a mid, it's a mid or in the middle. It's a position that is participating in proximity to both as one that transfers from one to another. This giving Paul is describing is the ministry, the gift the ministry of transferring from the hand of God to those he wants to bless. It's a ministry. It's a what? Because of the new season that we are now in, what the Lord is preparing his people for is we need to set ourselves for this kind of ministry. For this kind of prosperity. It's not the kind of prosperity to get. It's the kind of prosperity that is in between. First and foremost, we need to see prosperity as a ministry, as we see praying for the sick as a ministry, evangelism as a ministry, preaching as a ministry. This is a ministry that gives to the purpose of the kingdom. God will not give the wealth until he has these people that are anointed in this ministry. It'll change everything. Second Corinthians Chapter 9, I'm going to read it to you first in King James, and then I'm going to take it to another translation. Go with me, 2 Corinthians, just as quickly now, so you would see this. What is it? It's a ministry. It's a what? And this is really important, because um, I, want to, I want to make sure that I, I, I explain it clearly, because I don't want anyone misunderstanding what, what I mean. This is not a ministry of prosperity. This is not a prosperity message. Please hear me carefully. One of the benefits that I have being from the Middle East is when I read scripture, I read it in English, which is not my first language. You understand? 
When I first started, when I first moved here as a child, I was 12 years old and I did not speak one word of English. So I had to learn your language. You, you understand? And I, and I had, and I'm just as a side point, I had difficulty, still do. So when, when I say Christ in you, am I, do I mean you or you? You understand? Is it singular or is it plural? Is it masculine or feminine? In my language, it's very much more defined. Where the English language, it's kind of broad. When I would say, for example, in the beginning God, the English. In the original, in the first fruits, Elohim. Beginning is first fruits. Elohim is the expansion, the plurality of God. Come on. It's just the first line changes everything. You understand? So I have to study it. And so I was always taught to serve. So if you see an old lady trying to get into her apartment with groceries in her hand, trying to open her door, you run and you help her. Right? And so as a kid, we moved into this apartment in Canada and I see this sweet little old lady and she's carrying grocery bags like the old days, you know, the bags. And she's trying to get her key to open her door. And so I didn't speak any English and I used to get confused with certain words. And so I said, so I held her, the bag of her groceries so she can open her door. And she said, thank you. And I said, be quiet. <laughs> because I get confused the word, you're welcome, to be quiet. And she gave me a dirty look and I went and complained to my dad. I said, you know, people are rude over here. It's Canadian. <laughs> when I get called to ministry, I got to study scripture in English. I would think of it in my language, and it doesn't even make sense. So I'll go to my mom. Mom, can you read that to me in your Bible? And when she reads it in her Bible, it's like, it's not even the same thing. So it forces you to study, break down the words. So when God says, give and it shall be given, that's talking to the general public of believers. But this particular scripture, he is saying, listen now, if you have a ministry... A, an anointing for methodinomy. If you have a methodinomy, you're looking to stand in between. It's not about you anything. It's how God's going to take it from one side and trans transfer it on the other side because he can trust you. And not, God's not going to give you what he has. If you're going to hog it. Lord, bless me so I can be a blessing. Shut up. That's not what he said. He didn't say go play the lottery so you can be a blessing to the church after your house and car. He said, be faithful in the little. Come on, and I'll make you ruler over much. So here Paul is describing, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It is written, verse 9, he has dispensed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread to the for food, for your food, and multiply your seed sown and increase the firsts of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness. That means plentifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. 
for the administration, the rendering the ministry of this particular service, not only supplies the want to the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving to God. While by the experiment or by the experience of this ministration, this ministry, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and all and, uh, and unto all men. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Verse 15. And so the New Living Translation says like this. I'm just going to give you these few verses. So two things will result from this ministry of giving, it says. The needs of the saints will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God, which means out of this kind of generosity and giving, worship will break out to the Lord. Verse 13 says, and as a result of your ministry, listen, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers that will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. I love verse 15. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Verse 9, again, in part, this is still the New Living Translation. It says, as it is written, they share freely and give generously. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Say remembered. Amen. That means it's a memorial. Some say that this gift refers to giving of yourself and serving and giving of your time. That's true, but that's not what it's describing. This particular scripture is describing giving people the necessity of money. So on the contrary, givers that believe God has given them the ability to make money, they are conduits for God. These are the kind of givers God gives far beyond because they are the kind of people, they don't give their tithe. Listen carefully, their giving begins at their tithe. Their gift of giving starts with their tithe and not end with their tithe because tithing to them is not giving 10% but receiving 90. Come on, I want you to see this. This kind of ministry has the spirit of giving capacity and desire to serve God by the giving of material resources to advance the kingdom of God. Amen. These are rare kind of people. There are many Christian companies today that I can't get into right now that actually have this within their structure. So when you think of companies like Hobby Lobby who generates $3.3 billion, 23,000 employees, they give millions for the cause of Christ. They built schools, churches, they've opened museums of the Bible in Washington, Chick-fil-A, the number one food, fast food in the U.S. Though smaller than McDonald's or KFC, but listen, but many others, they're smaller, but they generate more revenue per capita than all of them. All others are open seven days. These companies are closed on Sunday to give God honor. Why? Because their, their reason of their company is to be a blessing to the kingdom. You know, in, 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 there's in and out this is another one. Uh, they're a phenomenon in, in, the, in the West Coast because they put scripture on their cups. And so there is a, these have learned a secret. They've created kingdom businesses for the purpose of the kingdom. So there is a distinction between the gift of giving, write it down, and the grace of giving. The gift of giving, like given shall be given, Luke 6, 38, is for all believers. It is the giving to receive. Some give out of desperation, trying to give their way out of a jam. It works. 
or giving to help more so they can be a blessing, and that still works. But the motivation is to receive. The, the grace of giving is giving with a purpose that is higher than themselves. It's giving with a purpose. Listen, the grace of giving gives in order to give again. Gives in order to give again. Gives in order to do what? Give again. It is the grace in this ministry. It is this grace that God uses to bring abundance. Because I believe God's about to raise some people. Because I want you to hear me. We're not going to impact the world being broke. But you see, as wealthy as Jesus was, you don't hear him. He, a lot of his parables had to do with seed and sower and farm fields and increase and, and talents, which we'll, you'll hear in a minute. But, but it's all about the kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Just listen to it. Moreover, brethren, we do you witness of, the, of this grace. We witness this grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberty. He's giving them the testimony that these people gave this out of the church, out of the churches in Macedonia. These churches gave their, their, their extreme poverty welled up into generosity. Here's how it reads in the NIV. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of every severe trial, their overflowing joy, listen to this, in the midst of severe trial, not their complaint, but their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, Paul is saying, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, you see where the culture comes from. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to the will of God to us. Verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as we had earlier, follow this carefully. Earlier made in the beginning, to bring also the completion of this act of grace Onto your part. They're telling one of their followers, one of their disciples, that since you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. You excelled in everything else. Now, add, excel in this grace of giving. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Listen, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. Why? So that you through his poverty may become rich. See, it almost works against the nature of man's fallen state. It's got, it's, it's, what, what is its purpose? You see, if I don't have any money, I don't need it. But when I need it, I get it. I, I never worry about it. Say something. Yes. I'm renovating my house right now. And Tanner's doing it. I don't know how I'm going to pay him, but he's worried about it. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Say hallelujah or something. In Luke 8, I'm just kidding. Kind of. In Luke 8, <laughs> Jesus was going to every city, and it says, just read Luke 8, 1 to 3. On your own time. Jesus was going to every city and village preaching the gospel of the kingdom. 
And there were these wealthy women that supported him and his disciples. And at times we would actually travel with him. And it was, listen, they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Herod's business manager. Remember Herod? Well, his business manager gave his life to the Lord and his wife became a follower and supporter of Jesus. So I'm going to give you this one more time. This, you'll see this in Luke 8. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others, it says, ministered unto him, Jesus, with their substance, material goods. In many scriptures, you will find there are always these generous women. Some of the men, eh. Men have a tendency to hog it because, you know, they got to work for it. So women, these are women that supported Jesus. Like the women that gave to the prophet Elijah her last meal. Or the woman Jesus watched in the temple that gave her last might. In Luke 16, Jesus is describing how we're to be faithful in the little. He will make us faithful over much. Haggai 2.8 reminds us, the Lord, listen, said... The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Say something. So Paul is speaking of those who supported him. And he says early in the ministry, Philippians chapter 4. And you can read it. Um, you know what? Let's just quickly go there. Come on, quickly. Philippians 4. We're, we're doing okay, right? That, that was not very good. I need some. To, we're doing good. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, quickly. Philippians chapter 4. Now, you know, we all use it. Well, my God shall supply all, all your needs. No! Who's he talking to? Follow this. He is describing to this particular group of people. And he says in verse... Six, be careful for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your quest known unto God. Listen, and the peace of God passes all understanding. And he's describing something to this particular church. And he's telling them, because you, they were, you were there to care of me. Even though I've learned, verse 11, I've learned how to take care of myself. I've learned how to abound, how to be abased. I've been instructed. I can do all things through Christ. Y'all just follow with me. And he jumps down. But it was you. Verse 14. You have done well to communicate with my needs, my afflictions. Now verse 15. Now you Philippines. Know also that in the beginning of the gospel, my ministry, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving. I had to survive on my own. Or receiving, except you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once, not only once, but twice to my necessities. Not because I desire a gift, but desire fruit that will abound to your account. But I have all, abound in all, full of all, I got it all. I even made sure I received of this brother, I can't pronounce his name, which were sent from you. And it was a, an odor that is well-pleasing as a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. He's talking to them. But, he's talking covenant now, my God shall supply all your needs. According to his riches. You got you to understand. Listen. 
The Living Translation says, And this God who I take care of, who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. The Weymouth Translation says, But my God, so great in his wealth of glory in Christ Jesus, will freely supply every need of yours. By the way, that word need is not describing you know, your necessities, your utilities. It's describing taking care of your businesses. I don't have time to break it down, but it's describing this God of covenant. What he is describing is the God that took care of me, that I am his responsibility. He's going to cause it to turn on you. He is describing an impartation of this giving. So the covenant of God gave what he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. God says, because we have, how many of you know we have the same promise in Christ? God says, and you shall be blessed in all your blessings. That means I'm going to prosper you. God said to Abraham, I'm going to slow down. God said to Abraham, listen, Genesis 12. I will bless thee and make a name, your name great. And then he adds in verse 2. And thou shalt be a blessing. Which means in Hebrew, I will make you prosperity. I'll make you a pool. A pool of blessing. I'll make you a gift or a present. And thou shalt prosper like a pool, a gift. In verse 3, the Lord said, And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 22, 17, the Lord adds to the covenant and he says, and in blessing will I bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. I'm not just going to multiply you, but I'm going to cause the multiplication to multiply faster. Multiply means I'm going to give it to you in abundance. I'm going to enlarge. I'm going to give it to you in heaps. I'm going to give you authority is what it's saying. God is saying in prosperity, I'll prosper you. In bringing abundance, I will enlarge you. In heaps, I'll give you authority. You all seen this? So when Paul here is describing... This God that we serve. He's telling them, you're not going to bless me. I'm going to bless you. Jesus is giving this parable in Matthew 25. You can read it later. The New International Version. How many of you remember the, the, the parable of the talents? And so we have taken that as it's to mean, you know, a small little bit of money or a gift. But it actually reads in the original. Follow this carefully. Again, he says, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with, their, with his wealth. Verse 15. And to one he gave five bags of gold. Say five. five. So to the one he gave five bags of gold. To another bag he gave to another two bags. And to another one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work and gained five more bags. Verse 17. So the one that had two bags of gold gained more, and he also did the same. And the one man that had received one bag, he went and dug a hole and put it into the ground because he was afraid to lose it. He took the master's money and put it in a, in a hole. Verse 19. After a long time, the master who's of the servants returns to settle the accounts. Verse 20, the men who had received five bags of gold brought the five more. He says, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, you've been faithful with a few. I will make, put you in charge of much. Come and share in the master's happiness in the kingdom. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold came. Master, you've given me, entrusted me, entrusted me, entrusted me. Say it. In, say it again. Entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few. I will put you in charge of much. Come and share your master's happiness. Now here comes the guy with the one bag of gold. Then the one man of gold, verse 24. Master, he said, I know you're a hard man. Really? Harvesting 
where you have not sown gathering, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. He gives it back to him. Master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. So you think that I'm the kind that will reap what I didn't sow and did not scatter seed. Well, verse 27, you should put my, your money on the, you could have at least put it in the bank, in a deposit where I could have gotten some interest. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one that has five. For whosoever has will, listen now, will be given more. And they that have, a, in, so they will have it in abundance. Whosoever does not have, even that which they have, will be taken away. Let me explain to you the bags of gold. One talent is 6,000 denarii in that time. One talent being one bag of gold. That is, one, one denarii is one day's wage. Got it? One talent is 6,000 denarii. So one denarii is one day's wage. Therefore, one talent was worth approximately 17 years of day's wages. Come with me. Two talents, two bags of gold, were worth approximately 34 years of income. Five talents, 85 years of income. <laughs> you all see this? In, in Matthew 25, you could see it later, verses 31 to 40. The master here is dealing um, with these that he could trust with what he has entrusted them with. Why didn't the Lord use dollars or pennies or might? Why is he using the allegory of bags of gold? Why these big numbers? Why bags of gold worth a lifetime of income? Because he's talking about his kingdom. The denomination of his thinking is not daily survival. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto him his goods. The NIV says, who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. His wealth is not single bills. Come on, church. I want us to change our denomination of thinking. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. Say yes. So my God is so great in his wealth for the glory of Christ who shall supply fully every need, the employment, the requirement, the demand of business, every necessity according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's really what that scripture is saying. Come on, I'm, 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 I'm almost done. So, God here is looking to bring people, follow this carefully, where they own, they, they own, they own nothing. They are stewards of everything. And God can trust they don't have sticky hands. And they become a memorial. They become a what? A memorial unto God. James 5, the Lord is rebuking those who knew they had money, but they refused to do what they knew what they should do with it. Verse 3, he says to them, your gold and silver are rusted. 
Listen, and, and so will you rust. It will be a witness against you, like as it was with Cain and Abel. The offering Cain brought, and there have to be a witness against him. Offerings always identify who you are. Giving always identifies where you stand. So all of the stuff that we do, if we're uh, resistant, negligent, cheap, we hold back, that identifies the level of your walk in faith in God. So your giving is a memorial for you or against you. You all see this? Offering speaks of your identity. Therefore, it identifies, it just speaks about us. In Acts 10.1, there was a man called Cornelius, a captain of the Italian army, a devout man, it says, that feared God and his family. And he gave much alms and prayed to God always. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said in verse 4, Thy prayers and thine alms your giving has come up for a memorial, as a record, a testimony before God. Somebody say something. Amen. Ashley, my dear, come back to the keyboard. In Matthew 26, a beautiful testimony. Jesus is having dinner with Simon, the leopard's house. And this woman walks in with an alabaster box, pours this very expensive ointment on the Lord's head, and she is crying, and the Lord is having dinner. She interrupts, and she pours this expensive perfume. Anybody know the story? And the disciples became indignant, saying, What a waste! This could have been sold and given money to the poor. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Jesus responds angrily and says, Because of that, the poor will always be with you. They just received a judgment. Because they saw what Mary did and they were offended that she poured this expensive perfume worth a year's salary. That's how wealthy she was. She poured it upon Jesus. And they became indignant. How dare you? It's just what people do today. They become indignant. They want the man of God to be holy and to be pure and to be broke. And so... You know, we've had a lot of shysters who kind of came on the scene, given and shall be given, make a covenant for a thousand dollars, and God's going to make you rich. Do you know, I've gone to conferences where they have done that sort of nonsense, got up, rebuked them. I'm the main speaker, got up, rebuked them, and left. I'm not going to give you a name because you might recognize who it is, but I was in a big church years ago, right here in Dallas. And my brother and I were there, and I am there to serve my brother, and, and the place is packed, and we're, I rented the facility because he has a huge church, and it's not his meeting, it's my brother's meeting. I'm there as my brother's assistant. My job is to get up and promote the product before my brother comes up and trying to get the mood kind of right and get the people praying. And so this man gets up, and he has a, a fishing reel, a huge fishing, you know a fishing reel. It's an old rusted fishing reel, and he brings this box and puts this fishing reel right in the pulpit. He's taking advantage of my brother's crowd. And I'm sitting next to my brother, and I'm thinking, what is he doing? And he says, the Lord spoke to me and said, whoever would give me a thousand dollars, God will make him a fisher of men. I was about to get up, and Benny grabs me. Don't you move. I can't stand that kind of stuff. And he's squeezing my arm, will he? 
Don't you do anything. They're not, these are not his people. We're renting the, the, the building. 45 minutes. 45 long minutes. This man is trying to get somebody to stand up and give him $1,000 that God will make a fisher of men. And I'm losing it. My whole, the anointing is gone. The Holy Spirit is nowhere in the building. I feel the devil coming out ready to kill. And I have imagination. I'm going to take a sword, just slice you. You know, by faith. Anyway, I'm getting angry. My brother is squeezing me. Literally, like his nails are going into my skin. And now I got to get up. And there, there's no presence. Our team just finished doing worship for 45 minutes. Glorious worship. And now this guy's trying to sell a fishing reel. That was kind of the beginning of my end in that whole world. So I finally get up and my brother said, you got to bring the spear back. So oh yeah, I'm going to bring the spear back. <laughs> so so this, this sleazeball man of God, so-called, from hell. You know, how many of you know Satan has preachers? He's actually a pastor. It's called the synagogue of Satan. Think about that. So, okay, so just so you don't get offended. Because <laughs> I am the last person you should have preached if you're not wanting to be offended. I look for ways to offend people. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, well, I'm kind of kidding. Anyway, so I get up and I, I you know, the fishing reel, rod thing, reel, is in fr- it's rusted. It's dirty. My brother Ben, listen, I'm clean. He's a fanatic. Now I got to get rid of this rusty, huge thing. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to put it back in the box. The pulpit is dirty. Ben is not going to put his stuff on the, on the pulpit. I got to clean this stuff. And I'm getting angry by the second. I don't want to touch it. And I looked at the man. You, sir, out of order. Oh, forgot to tell you. 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And all of a sudden he goes, oh, 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 okay, okay, Lord, okay. God says $500. As God is my witness. He goes from 1,000 to 500. And nobody's responding. Oh, oh, okay, Lord. He's like, as if God is talking to him. Like it's an, an auction. The Lord says $100. And nobody responds. And he puts it, puts it, you know what? I'm going to pray for you that God will convict you before the service is over. I get up and I know my brother's going to kill me. I'm probably going to get fired. But you know what? I can't let this go on because there's thousands of people in this building and that man needs to be put in his place. And I got up and I publicly rebuked him in his own building. And I said, you saw out of order. What you just did is from hell. And you people better not give a dime to this fishing reel. You want to be followers of Jesus? He'll make you a fisher of men. Don't buy this reel. And I got everybody. You, pin drop. I can see steam come out of my brother's eyes and ears. Now I got to pray to win him back. I'm telling you a true story. I get everybody praying. The worship team has to come back up. Now we got to take another 30 minutes to get the Holy Spirit back who left us at the airport. So I'm going to get the Spirit back. I introduce my brother and he says to me in Arabic, I don't want to look at your face. So (laughs) I, I introduced my brother and I snuck to the back real quietly and waited in the lobby. And my driver was John Bevere. John Bevere was the driver to that pre- preacher. He took me to the airport with his wife and I gave him a word. He said, God, I want you out of here. I hired him to be our youth pastor. 
And he worked with us for a number of years, and then God opened the door for him, and John Bevere owes me today. He may not remember, but I remember. So, I actually had him take me to the airport, because my brother didn't want to see me. And I knew when he was going to get home, it would be a war. So I'm praying. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. And I didn't do a whole lot of that, but I did that. Whatever works, you know. Slap oil on it. So, Benny comes back home, and I'm, I'm thinking he's going to be livid. And he goes, will you? Calls me. Listen, I'm sorry. He said, listen, that was God. You got the mm, 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 to do this. I can't say what that was, but basically I had the backbone to do it, okay? Fill in the blanks. He said, but never do that again in my meeting. It embarrassed me. I said, you should have been livid. You should have stood up and interrupted him. If that was my meeting, I would have stood up and shut the man up. I said, take this, put it back to the pit of hell where it came from. Well, we needed some people that are going to have some peacemaking abilities. We're playing this religiosity and keeping everybody happy. And, you know, when it, the meek shall inherit the earth, then said the weak, it said the meek. The humble, not the weak. I got to get the Holy Ghost back. I need you. Okay. Jesus says this about Mary. Listen. It's a beautiful testimony in Matthew 26. Jesus is having dinner. She comes and she pours this very expensive perfume from an alabaster box, pours it on his head. She's weeping. She's crying. She interrupts their dinner. His disciples become indignant. They're complaining that they could have sold it and given it to the poor. Jesus responds to them angrily. The poor will always be with you, but I will not always be with you. And he rebukes everybody. No one has come and brought oil and anointed my feet. No one has come and anointed my head and washed my feet with their tears. But because of what this woman just did, I want you to listen. Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, verse 13, he makes this most profound statement about this woman named Mary. It says in verse 13, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, in all the world, there shall also be this testimony, this memorial of her because of what she has done. The NIV says, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will always be told as a memorial. You see, I pastor the greatest church on earth. It's not the largest. It's not the richest. But it is the most faithful people I have ever encountered. And unless you've been there and done that, you really don't know the cost. So I don't speak to you as a preacher I speak to you as one that has pastored, worked with people, lived with them, dealt with their issues. A week ago, I was in California, had to bury a baby. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And one a wonderful couple in our church, she was pregnant 
when all eight and a half months, the baby started to come prematurely, and so she rushed to the hospital. The baby was born dead, and they didn't know why. They've, been, they've had two boys. They got two boys, and they've been praying for a girl. They finally get pregnant with the girl, and she's born dead, and I got to go there and participate in this funeral. Instead of saying why, because, you know, you can't help but want to know, like, Lord, what happened here? Even the doctors were baffled. They had no idea. When the baby was born that way, they were surprised as the parents that she's dead. And so they bring this beautiful little child in a box and we have to put her in the ground. And this, the position this young couple took, God is still God. We don't understand everything, but God is still God. And He's a giver. And so when you kind of go through this agony with people and you watch them come through and God squeezes them. And I'm not saying God killed the child. We don't know why the baby was born that way. But the fact is how they responded to it. Jesus always assessed things not by how they were, but how is he going to respond to it? You know, he was angry at his disciples because they woke him up during a storm, expecting them to calm the storm or to let them sleep. He rebuked them when he got up. You a little faith. Can't you stop this? Let me sleep. Lord Lazarus is No, he's not. He's just... Lord Lazarus is really sick. No, he's not. Lord, he's dead. No, he's sleeping. Four days. He stinketh. Jesus never responded to the condition. But how is he going to respond to it? He raised him from the dead because in, in the sight of Christ... He sees everything from the hand of God. No matter the condition. In all these years, we're talking decades as a church. We just celebrated 34 years, July the 3rd. Somebody say hallelujah or something. My family and I have lived like kings. They're very protective. They're very giving. And I've seen God do miracles among this remnant of people like it's unbelievable. And, and when I travel, I have to kind of try to assess how do I get these people that I'm ministering to from where they are to where they could be. And it's a course. Can't be done overnight. Because you have to make them. Does that make sense? You have to produce them. You make soldiers. You don't just pray them. You got to produce them. You don't just have a team. You develop them. And there's something that has taken place. I've never once had somebody come and preach on giving. Never ever had a conference where it's a fundraising. Never once said, who will give $100? Ever. I find that to be disgusting. But these people just bestow. They got this grace. It's a grace of giving. But God is after something that's going to cause nations to take notice. A memorial that has the capability to so be in tune with God that they're able to use wealth as a ministry. Not for money's sake, but kingdom advancement's sake. There's no one in Scripture from Abraham to Paul that God raised, that he did not prosper. Paul would pay for, for a ship of people. 
He would go and stay in Ephesus months. He would travel and live with servants and send them on missions and pay for it. If you pay attention, these people didn't go on airlines. These were journeys that took a lot of time and effort and a whole stream of people along the way and homes and supply and food to take the gospel. They didn't send it out on Facebook. They carried it. And God was able to penetrate a region where the gospel was spread. So much so that in 300 years, the Roman Empire changed their celebration, December the 25th, from the sun goddess to the birth of Christ. 300 years. You know Jesus was not born on December the 25th, right? Oh, no. Right? Talk to me. It was a celebration in Rome for the sun goddess. And because Christianity took over so much, that even followers of Rome converted to Christ. And the manager of Herod's wife, his wife becomes a supporter. You don't think Herod knew? Come on. And Mary and Joanna and Susanna and all these other women paid for Jesus and his followers to travel and stay. And Jesus gave everything. And knowing all along, his bookkeeper is a thief. But knowing God needs him, don't let that bother you. Somebody has to betray me. I'm going to just keep quiet about that one. We can always see the God of Jesus, the God of Paul who converts from Saul, but can you get a hold of the God of Judas Iscariot? The God that orchestrates because there has to be a betrayer. And God prophesies him from the book of Psalms before he's ever born. He was a dirty guy though. Don't, don't miss. God used his capability of being a thief to fulfill his purpose. Jesus could have delivered him like he did so many, but he didn't. In fact, he could have helped Peter and said, listen, Saint decides to sift you. I'm praying for you. And after you're sifted, <laughs> which means he's going to get his way with you. Don't forget, you're going to, after you're converted, help your brother. We are in a season, and I'm done. God's going to use the devil to fulfill his plan. I know that's going to rock, you know, oh... After this, I'm going to go have a big lunch. So I need you to be happy now. I need you to raise that volume a little. Listen to me carefully. What's going on in the White House is not really what's going on. I'm just about done. What's going on in Washington is not really what's going on. What's going on in the Supreme Court is not really what's going on. There's a master plan behind it all. There's a sovereign ruler who's designing it every step of the way because God is planning an ambush. He's planning an ambush. It's going to be an ambush. It is an ambush. 
is to let his, all his enemies come. He's going to see that, you know, this, this, this Pharaoh, you can stay standing, I'm, I'm done. This Pharaoh is beginning to get weak. So I'm going to harden his heart. And it's going to look like a trap to the people of God. Y'all seen this? The people of Israel are going to be trapped between the army of Pharaoh and the sea. And the people are going to panic. What are we going to do? Oh, I hope we win in November. We're trapped. It's getting worse. Can't see the plan of God. But what God is after is to bring all of his enemies into one place so he can destroy them all at once. I'm telling you, it's an ambush. Jacob mourning the death of his son, Joseph. Years mourning. It was 13 years from the time Joseph is taken to the time he's called out of prison. 13 years. When they find out he can translate dreams, seven years of plenty had to pass. Then seven more years of famine. In the second year of the second seven years, he steps up into his position to fulfill his promise. That's 22 years. 22 years. Jacob thinks his son is dead. What was going on is not really what was going on. In the meantime, God was preparing his son to rule Egypt. Everybody's mourning in Galilee. Everybody's crying. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. That's what was going on. But that's not really what was going on. While everybody's crying, the streets of Jerusalem are mourning. Hell is being set free. Opening up prison doors. Setting the captives free. What was going on in the world was mourning. What was going on in the kingdom is deliverance. God is about to set up this world like you can't believe. Say something. He's going to use the evils against them. In the time of Gideon, these people didn't have to fight. They just had to blow their trumpets, show their light, and the enemy defeated himself. I'm going to tell you, the enemies of this nation are about to defeat themselves. God is setting up a trap. He's setting up an ambush. Christians don't realize what they vote for will come visit them. So when people vote for a president who made law that, that same-sex marriage is now law. And then somebody in that family becomes a homosexual. They don't understand. They opened the gates of hell when they voted for that kind of law. And God is about to ambush this nation, about to ambush this world. Because I want you to hear me. It looks like hell is just having a time of victory. But God is setting it up. Because the glory of the Lord is about to cover the waters, as the, covers this earth as the waters cover the sea. We're about to see the greatest move of God we have ever seen. God is about to invade our nation. God's about to invade our government. God's about to invade His church. Lift your hands. God's about to cause a, an outpour because He's the God of ambush. 
It's a setup with every hand raised. Right where you stand. There's a ministry that's hardly been called, noticed, asked for, been aware of. It's anointed. It's a meta, denomi ministry. It doesn't mean you have to become a billionaire or a millionaire. It means in whatever capacity where God has enabled you, you become an in-between. As God's hand to God's supply. From receiving from one to giving to the other. Because God's about to raise wealth. He said, the silver is all mine. The gold is all mine. I'll give you a bag of gold. And if you're found faithful in the little, I'll make you ruler over much. We're in the season of a great change. So Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to every heart. Provoke every mind that you will set apart and anoint for this change. That you will raise up ministers of giving. Giving like we've never witnessed. Not just giving to get. Not make us rich ministries but ministries of stewardship, ministries of in-between. Come on, church, ministries of distribution. That we don't have to wait to be invited and to go to Africa. We don't have to wait to be invited to North Korea, but we're able to take abundance and give to their needs and supply to their poor and open up the doors through feeding them ministering to them, giving them what they need, and then preach the gospel to them. For you said, before you preach to them, you got to feed them. The world may not be open to the gospel, but they're open for help. Raise up people that simply give Give for the advancement of your name. Give for the advancement of your ministry. Give for the advancement of your kingdom. To nations that will never invite them. That we may open up schools, orphanages, food banks, shelters. We may minister to the victims of war. Children left in the streets. Forgive us that many have gone to churches to receive offerings under contract. Forgive us for raising idols of money and gods of wealth. Forgive us that we've made material and riches our God.
Raise up servants that will feed the hungry, serve the needy. For you said, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Lord, where did we do this? When you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Raise up this people, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And all the people of God said, Come on, magnify his name. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.